doing, Courtney? How are you? I'm doing well. How are you, too? I'm doing all right. What's going on? Good. Um, yeah, uh, thanks for picking up. I am giving you a ring because um, I got an email from a citizen here in Burlington. Welcome to part two and episode two of Unsolicited Bridge Picks. I am your co-host, Charles Winkleman. With me is, of course... Gabrielle Bills, it's me. The one, Sorry. the only. <laughs> I was watching you like a TV. So yes, part two of the Del Pozo debacle. Yeah, part two. Since we recorded the first episode, it, we spent a little bit of time in between the two. Um, and so much has happened that we began recording this part two and just kind of threw it out to start over. Because Brandon is great at doing things on the internet. Yes, he's, um, if you'll allow me, too online. Well, oh my gosh, I'm hosting with Chris Hayes now. It's really amazing. <laughs> Anyhow, we will be talking about the Twitter scandal that took him out of the Burlington Police Department and yep. launched him into a new chapter of his life, uh, being a woke AF former police chief who all the cool reporters want to talk to <laughs> about policing in our nation right now. Someone who's very good at talking about policing reforms hypothetically while never actually interrogating his own history, whether it was as chief or in the NYPD. There are probably no other better mouthpieces for reform, police, police reform, reform, right? Yeah, yeah like, no, I, I, I agree. Option. I have personally, as a, a prison and police abolitionist, have some serious concern about uh, Del Pozo's second chapter, uh, mostly because I think a lot of what he's doing, whether intentional or not, is trying to kill a legitimate movement to defund the police. All right. So to pick up where we left off, Del Pozo was very rigidly refusing to have a social media policy yeah to consent to having any kind of accountability with his social media use and um, after numerous members of the community had spoken out about this after our guest from last time mike went before the burlington police commission and nothing happened it was clear mm -hmm. that it, we could expect more of the same in the meantime scandals and controversy throughout our state and our nation heightened the scrutiny of police and prompted deluges of social media responses from police and community members. Here in Vermont, we had the Kilburn incident and investigation. Which was uh, a situation where a 50-something-year-old disabled man got punched in the head and killed by a police officer who escalated the situation by swearing at him, grabbing him when he was in his car, and the mayor... Weinberger and Del Pozo not only tried to interfere with the coroner's uh, report, but also defended uh, the officer's action. First, they said, you know, what he did was entirely fine. Sometimes officers swear in the heat of the moment. And then later, after an investigation, they said, oh, you're not supposed to swear. And they gave him a wrist slap. Don't swear, but punching somebody in the face until they die. Eh. At the hospital. Yes, he did not die on the spot, importantly. But... The coroner did say that it was death by homicide. Yep, and that was a lot of the uh, disagreement. But there was articles about it just where the head medical examiner and a member of the governor's team expressed concerns for the emails that Brandon was sending out. And so that was happening. There was also another situation where police officers pepper sprayed a six-year-old child of color 
My favorite quote from that is an article in June 2019 in Vermont Digger. Asked about his description that the child was, quote, not injured, Del Pozo said, The whole point of pepper spray is not to cause injury. It's to cause enough discomfort, at times pain, to get people to drop a knife or stop what they're doing, he said. It's not meant to injure people. Weinberger said, This was a very challenging and unusual situation for any police department. I am reassured that our officers were able to resolve this incident without lasting injury to the child. Which isn't true. The child uh, was having their own mental health concerns and was just walking around the neighborhood with a knife, not attacking anyone, and supposedly made threats to injure themselves, but was mostly attacking uh, random objects, a screen door. Uh, there was like six plus officers on the scene, and they eventually you know, just decided you know, to pepper spray a You child. know how hard it is to get a knife away from a six-year-old, Charles. Actually, I don't. I've only ever taught up to five-year-olds, so... Uh, okay, well then, I'm sure we are unqualified difference. to comment on this. Um, but, you know, that is why when we were teaching, I always kept one of those little keychain pepper sprays. Yeah, the bear mace ones. Yeah, just, you know, because you never know. Uh, you probably remember on my keychain, I had the, the earplugs, you know, the keychain earplugs in case we were dealing with any kids who were screaming for long periods of time. And, yep. uh, and then I had the mace. And, so. and, well, and the mini taser. And the, the mini taser. Oh, I forgot. It's so cute. Yeah. The, you know, the for early, their cute little the bodies. Early childhood kit. I mean, that's how it works. <laughs> yeah. If I, if I was in charge, I would not ever try to defend anyone pepper spraying a child, no matter how legitimate I thought that action was. But that's just me. Yeah. That's, it's, it's a weird thing to think as a legitimate. And of course, since you and I agree on this, we're joking about it and just kind of being like, well, this is the most fucking ridiculous thing we've ever heard. But honestly, regardless of the situation, both of us are actually trained professionals in early childhood. And we have dealt with severely traumatized children in at times violent and dangerous situations. Charles and I have both been physically in danger by children before like this is it's not something that we're not familiar with at least to a certain extent we also have given three four and five year olds saws and tools and knives to to use Some, tools. sometimes i give them mace so, <laughs> you know it's wrong to protect adults, themselves from the police it's wrong for adults to amaze kids but kids can mace each other i mean that's just <laughs> It's, yeah, that's discovery. It's part of... It's I mean, actually, there was that one time where I, I did uh, bring in the miniature hot pepper plant. <laughs> Remember that? <laughs> no. And then a kid touched the plant and touched their oh eye and was, gosh. like, screaming. And I was like, eh, it's not that bad. And then later that day, I touched my eye, and it was so painful. And I got rid of that plant as quickly as possible <laughs> because it was some of the worst pain I had ever had. Yeah, and I felt joke. really bad. And I apologize to that child and be like, yeah, that was a terrible idea. Uh, but I also took some of that pain, too. So. Yeah. Later on, Del Pozo, in his op-eds, he stated that there were no police killings on his watch. Like George Floyd. I mean, you know, there, there's... Uh, there's a lot of qualifiers to it, but I'm sure he doesn't think a single person who died or got hurt that it was unjustified. Right, but that's not what police killings, that's not what that means. <laughs> Anyhow, so these things happen, and in 2019, we saw the emergence of Burlington Cop Watch. Um, oh, yeah. It's a chapter of something that's national. Yeah, it's quasi-national. I mean, it's a diffuse organization. 
each chapter is kind of its own, but Copwatch started in Berkeley, California. Someone from Vermont had was living in Austin, Texas at the time, and they had a Copwatch chapter, and they came back to Burlington and kind of were able to start one here and get people involved. As of today, I think 60 to 80 people involved. Um, that, and that might not mean everyone's showing up to every event, but essentially they, they were kind of filling in this vacuum because it was very obvious that the mayor wasn't ever going to do anything. The council wasn't going to do anything. The police commission was never going to do anything. So, so when there's no accountability, yeah. We also have seen activism from Black Lives Matter in Vermont. They had an event with over 100 people around this time uh, where they called for the firing of three or four violent officers and for oversight, you know, compared to what's happening today, calling for defunding and abolition. It was a pretty small ask. And, and I think that's one of the things that's so fascinating is under Del Pozo's tenure, lots of people, not just myself, were calling for reforms and modest reforms. And he refused all of them. And many of us now are full on abolitionists because they missed the opportunity for, for reforms. Yeah. Sorry. Although he will tell you that he was running the most progressive police most department. Transparent most open they have they have an online data portal where you can look at some of their data in ways that they choose to present it so you know the officers are the ones writing this data but still they're presenting it yeah and we know officers never lie <laughs> that's scout's honor <laughs> so brandon del pozo is definitely starting to feel some pressure put on him through these police force incidents and generally the public wanting accountability and then suddenly he was on a mysterious leave. Yeah, and it was it was extra mysterious because a year or so before, he had had a TBI. And that was, I mean, he talked to the media about it. That was in the news. And he was on FMLA that he was on this mysterious leave. With um, no explanation given. And, and the uh, administration was asked and they refused. And they said, well, that's, you know, his private business. He doesn't have to share that. So it was like really night and day. Um, I personally, around the same time, the UVM police chief was also on leave, and I uh, really wanted to believe that the two of them were having some sort of personal affair. Not that I care at all. It's just, I was like, ah, oh, that sounds funny. No, I thought it had something to do with the Kilburn uh, case. It's much smarter than me. <laughs> uh, I was like, ooh, gossip. <laughs> but yeah. To be honest, I did not think that was truly the case. The other thing I wondered was whether he was behind a Twitter account named Chicky Troll that had trolled me around that same time in early July. Del Pozo seems to be particularly hounded by one critic who uh, is known to go by the name of Chicky Troll and lurk under bridges, right? Is that... I mean, I don't go by Chicky Troll. Oh, um, no, you don't. Oh, okay. No, no. Uh, what, what's interesting about that is that I do have uh, a childhood nickname is Chicky. Um, for a few years, I also uh, did some stand-up comedy, some improv, and I used the name Chicky Winkleman, but I haven't used it, God, six years at this point. Um, I have never used it when I was involved with politics, when I was running for office, I was Charles Winkleman. But what's interesting is that I've, I've found a trend where generally it's straight cis white men, not always, but generally, who will call me chicky when they're trying to uh, be dismissive towards mm -hmm. me. I think they think it's So it we're talking city councilors. Councilors um, have done it. Radio hosts, local radio oh, hosts that's right. have done it. The yeah. chief did it. The mayor has done it. Yep. You know, in this, I, I'm Uncle Chicky to my most of my nieces and nephews. My siblings will call me chicky. 
My mom will call me Chickala. Oh, yeah. so cute. So the idea that it was Chicky Troll immediately set off some like alarm bells. The username itself was Winkle Watchers, and it had a picture of the proposed downtown mall as the banner because I had been critical of the mall, which is another thing I'm right about. So, <laughs> And then uh, a photo of me with a fake mustache from when I was doing stand-up and was had an article in seven days, which is not easy to find. And so it was clear that whoever had made this Twitter account had put work in, had put thought in. So the, this account was, was created, and you got a bunch of tweets on the 4th yep. of July. Yep, and they joined in July. Mm-hmm. They followed... Only like three people at the time. I never, I never got a screenshot of it, but I believe one of them was the Burlington Police Department. So I was like, this is weird. Mm-hmm. And then several of the tweets were about me swearing online and about how I supposedly think cursing is intolerable, which is not the fucking case. I fucking love swearing. Huh? I think it's fucking great. I just understand there's times and places you can swear and times where you shouldn't, like when you're working. Like I've never sworn in front of children. <laughs> because I have that self-control. Yeah, even when they tell you that they want to fuck you in your fucking face? Yeah. Repeatedly? Or uh, throw things at you, or maybe even have a knife. Yeah, no need to swear. So it was weird. Somewhere about sitting at restaurants, AmeriCorps. I mean, it's just, it's so funny what he chose because it's mostly these things that I, I just disagree with as someone who is a, a anarchist or communist. I, I disagree with AmeriCorps and as it exists. I think it, it's very cheap labor and has serious problems. And a lot uh, of educators have questions about different AmeriCorps programs. Like yeah, it's not... Teach for America has a lot, a lot of issues. Um, when it comes to parking and stuff like that, I have issues with that because I find that most parks are not actually accessible. A lot of these uh, parklets are really just ways for small businesses to expand into more public space without actually creating real public space. Downtown, there's still nowhere you can sit for free outside if you want to at a table. So I think I remember you sending me some of those screenshots and being like, dude, do you think this is Del Pozo? Like, do you, does this seem like that might be the police chief? Was that your first gut feeling? There was a bunch about criticizing public officials. So I was like, all right, it's either a politician, someone who works for the city, someone who's involved with local politics. I thought it was someone younger, like in their 20s. What I was able to do before he deleted the account, because whoever had it only had it up for maybe an hour, and then they deleted it. But before they did, I was able to find out the email associated with the account, which was a Yahoo account. And it was WI, a bunch of asterisks at Y, blah, blah, blah. But it was winklewatchers at yahoo.com. Like, basic. <laughs> Just not... Super great not detective work. Super great detective Cut work. Really, really trying to hide, uh, I think, really trying to hide who he was. And then from that Yahoo account, what I was able to find was that the number connected to it, the area code started with an 8, and the last two digits were 4-4. Four, four. I then tried a bunch of different Twitter accounts, and the two that seemed to match were Brandon Del Pozo's and the Burlington Police Department. Both had text-to-code to my phone ending in 4-4. All three of them also tweeted from an Android phone. It's evidence, but it's circumstantial. Like, there, there wasn't truly enough to say this was Chief of Police Brandon Del Pozo. So with that, you kind of tipped off a reporter and said, you might want to ask about this. Yeah. I had 
called Courtney Lambden and I was like, hey, I think this is the chief. Here's the evidence I have. It's not a lot. I cannot pretend it is. And she was like, okay, let me call him. But she said, I believe you. I think that was him. And so she called him. She called me back and said, you know, he denied it. Sorry, there's like really nothing else I can do. And I was like, well, fuck. Right. Great. So now I think the chief trolled me and now I just have to sit with it. And there's like nothing I can do about it. And the reason why I thought he trolled me was because, you know, the most recent thing was that he had sent officers to the lynching museum in uh, Alabama. And one of the officers had a, a thin blue line shirt on. And a lot of people, including a lot of people of color in the community, uh, found that incredibly offensive. And he was incredibly defensive about it, made excuses. Um, and it was really just, you know, another example of this social media presence that existed solely to make himself and the, the, the police department look better. It was, existed for political means. It wasn't just giving out information. It was very clear. There was a, a clear political and personal aspect to it. Yes, and he has been quick to bring up that field trip many times in many interviews. Almost every interview or, you know, article, op-ed, whatever that he has put out there in the last couple of months, he's really really proud of that which it's that's that's a great thing to do it's a great thing to you know be trying to educate your police officers about yeah, the history of, of racism in our country just not when you're doing it as a stunt right and, and that's the thing is like that's not what what making change is about if you're making change to get pats on the back there's also the question of whether or not doing this field trip to a lynching museum is the most effective way of having oh, that totally, education totally. but all we can say afterwards is the proof is in the pudding and the proof uh is in the pudding. so so i spent a few months wondering asking like every person not just you asking every person like hey so here's this evidence i have i would say a quarter of people thought i was just wrong they were like you're making shit up like you're fucking paranoid <laughs> um, a quarter of people believed me and 50 percent humored me <laughs> which to my credit, great friends that I have were like, uh, yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> like, I could see that. Why not? Yeah. yeah. But nothing happened, right? Like, I couldn't do anything. Uh, Courtney called him. He denied it. And then um, in October of 2019, I learned that there was co a couple complaints about my social media presence, which was interesting to me. Particularly because one of them was about a post in July that I had made that was sent directly to the CEO of Howard Center, my employer, Bob Bick, where a community member complained about their interaction with me over social media. What happened in July was that interaction and that the, the chief sending those officers there, them wearing the blue line or thin blue line shirt and me pointing out that it was in poor taste. And so then there was like, this is weird. And at that point I called Courtney Lambden again and I was like, hey, so here's this other bit of data I don't know who complained, but who would email Bob Bick? Like, A, who has Bob Bick's email? B, who would do that? The conversation today is, uh, you know, all of these conservatives talking about, you know, cancel, cancel culture. culture. I mean, this person was literally trying to get me fired for saying, hey, this thing that you did was insensitive at best. Don't make excuses. Apologize and do better. Right. And someone tried to get me fired for that. Hmm. So I called Courtney and I was like, hey here's this other thing I have. And she was like, you sure it wasn't any of your coworkers? A, none of them care enough. <laughs> B, none of us are paid enough. No, maybe they would have talked to a supervisor or like our division boss, but they wouldn't go to the CEO who's like five layers, six layers above us. Like it, it wouldn't make sense. You know, in, in an organization of this size, you don't 
go to the head boss right away. How much contact did you even have with... Never met the guy. Yeah, I'd have never met the guy. There's thousands of people in the organization. The, the idea that I would have had a personal connection, but this person, this random person did, immediately my thought was, well, if it's the police chief, if it's Brandon Del Pozo, he meets with Bob Bick regularly. They have a regular meeting, CompStat, because Howard Center works directly with Del Pozo. Del Pozo also joined their board in, I think, 2018. So I was like, yeah, here's two different connections where the chief would regularly be in communication with Bob Bick. So why wouldn't he send an email if he had trolled me and if this had bothered him so much? Why not? Connecting of the dots. Some more connecting. And, and you know, I talked to Courtney and she went to her editor and she was like, sorry. Like, she's like, I, I legitimately believe you still. But the editor says there's just not enough evidence. And so then I sat on it for a couple months, just kind of getting stressed out and anxious because, you know, being told that my social media presence could get me fired when I had done nothing wrong. I don't talk about work on social media. I don't even, you know, use my, my full name on social media. I don't want clients or anyone to be able to find me easily. And so I, I try to, you know, keep as much separation as one can in, in a small state. I know you can't, but whatever. And then finally, you know, I, I decided I was just going to write something up about it because they said there wasn't enough evidence. And I was like, all right, well, I think I have enough evidence. I think I was targeted. I think that I was, you know, the chief tried to get me fired. And so I wrote a blog post and put it out into the world with the evidence that I had. That was on December 9th of 2019? It was in December. Yeah, December 9th. Another big part of this was I had made a, a complaint to the police commission early on, and, and they had never, they essentially dropped the ball completely. It's about what happened with Mike Fife because, oh. you know, as Mike talked about, Brandon kept trying to connect us. He said, you know, we're nakedly political. You know, there he was at a police commission meeting wearing his uh, uniform as the police chief making these statements. And like, to me, that got to the point where I'm like, that's crossing the line. Like, this isn't just him retweeting stuff at his Twitter or Facebook and messing up the identity of him and, and the department. This is him accusing me of, like, some serious nefarious things. Toxic. With, with zero evidence. I had made this complaint to the police commission, and Deputy Wright was the one who, who oversaw complaints. And my initial complaint never made it to the police commission. She just kept it. And there's an email where she sent it to Del Pozo and Murad and said, yeah, we'll deal with it over, uh, later. And then just never did anything with him. So that oh, was my Oh, is this complaint. the same Jan Wright who also created a fake social media account to bother people who disagree with her? Yeah. Yeah, it was. And so I put that out there. And that was December 9th. And then shit hit the fucking fan. I had done a record request because I really wanted to make sure if I was going to maybe get fired for this that I would at least be able to cover my bases. Um, so I did a record request and I found some interesting stuff during that record request. Uh, one of which was... Del Pozo during the, about the whole shirt thing. And I, I just want to read this. It was between Brandon and his deputy, John Murad, who was a friend of his who got hired, I think, even though he was not qualified to. And at one point, union membership agreed with that sentiment. So oh, yeah, this was great. So, and this was July 6th, Saturday. This is an, this is an email interaction between. This is an email interaction, which is like, makes me wonder what they were saying to each other. Like if this is one of the emails that slipped through in the, in the city and the mayor, uh, quote, they're quote unquote transparent, but it's almost impossible to get any records. I still haven't been able to figure out what exactly happened, even with Brandon and me. Like I still don't know, not been get, got, given all the information. Mm -hmm. But there's this whole email where John Murad, who's now acting chief, said, 
there's this ridiculous objection that might be posited by a very small group of intractable activists who don't want police to get anything right. If it hadn't been the shirt, it would have been the camo shorts or the aggressive Oakley shades or the lack of a facilitator whom they got to choose. It's like the waiter said to the table of activists, is anything all right? That was Murad. How does Brandon respond? He said that the thin blue line, quote, is our symbol as cops. Wearing it to a lynching memorial is inviting needless criticism, however. They were basically just gleeful that they could seize on, my favorite phrase, left-wing PC mania to undo our work and stimmy our efforts. Like I said, an unforced error born of nothing but good intentions. Notice how Seven Days didn't mention the people who equivocated it with a swastika. That would have shown their true cop-hating colors. And so this is a guy who's going around nationally saying, here's this great thing I did. I tried so hard while, while mocking activists who, uh, for good reasons, complained. But also during the record request, I found that Deputy Wright and others were monitoring my social media presence and monitoring Copwatch. And at one point making up this entire conspiracy about Copwatch calling in these fake calls just to send the police on uh, random chases for, for some reason. I don't even... Try to catch them doing something bad. Right. But you don't need to do that because they already do bad shit. They beat black men earlier that year. Like Okay, so you decide that you have enough evidence, at least, to publish something yourself on your personal website. What happens next? What shit happens storm. next? <laughs> Pretty much. What a shitstorm. It was amazing. <laughs> because I posted that... And I was hoping this would be the case, but I wasn't sure. But because I made these claims publicly, it was now a story that was worthy of the news. You know, right. in that incredibly ridiculous, weird, ironic way. There's not enough evidence, but now the story is, you know, local man accuses police chief of creating fake account. And so at this point, Courtney calls Brandon again. My understanding is, and maybe I'm getting this a little bit wrong, but he admits it. Didn't the mayor's response come before Del Pozo's response? Didn't the mayor said, yes, I'm aware that happened. I put him on leave initially because of that. And then we found out what had actually and, happened with that leave. And, and the mayor said, you know, we had agreed that if someone asked us a second time, point blank, very specifically, then we would admit we did it. But we did nothing wrong. I mean, that's that was the implication. We did the right thing here. Which wasn't true. It turned out that they lied to the police commission. They lied to city council because initially Del Pozo was not taken off because of FMLA. He was taken off because of this. And then afterwards they decided it was FMLA like a day later. And the, the council and the commission was never told about this. Uh, it seems like they've all just moved past this, which is really concerning and fascinating. Like here was a clear breach of trust. The mayor hid this and lied to all 12 members of the council, to the public, to the police commission that is supposed to give suggestions about these things. But not only that, Del Pozo lied to Courtney uh, back in July, near the end of July, when he took that mysterious leave. And he lied about a dozen times. And, and uh, I think it would be really good to play a little bit of that clip. <laughs> Uh, kind of raising some allegations against, I guess, you specifically. <laughs> so I feel like um, I wanted to just call you and ask you about it. A guy who I believe you know, Charles Winkleman, right. um, approached me and told me that he believes that you created a fake Twitter account and a Facebook account uh, to kind of like harass him or mock him. 
and he told, you know, he says he has proof that it's you. And so, no. so you did not do that? Nope. Are you, have you heard about this? Are you... Only, like, sometimes on him online, like, he'll be speaking to people and he'll say, like, you must be the chief. And the answer is just no. Mm. Like, I don't, I don't respond to him online, but the answer is no. Okay. So, yeah, the account that he, like, showed me was called Winkle Watcher. Yeah. Have you seen that account? No, only, like I said, I, if I look on his Twitter account, it's, like, him saying I'm being trolled or something like that. Yeah, he, I think he has tweeted about it. Yeah, so no. Okay. Are you... He also mentioned that there's, like, a fake Facebook account. The name is... He thinks it's a fake account. The name is Lori Spicer. I haven't created any fake Twitter accounts either, or Facebook accounts at all. Okay. Do you know... And like, you've seen what he's alleged. Like, do you know if anyone in the department has? Have you brought this up with your... No, I mean, I'll, you know, I mean, listen, it's, it suffices to say I can ask around. But no, I don't, like, I don't respond to him on Twitter and I don't have sock puppet accounts. Okay. Um, yeah, it, I mean, some of the things... The account is deleted now. Right. Um, but some of the things that they said... Like, they started a hashtag called, like, hashtag Chicky Troll. Right. Um, I think the reason that that uh, Winkleman thought it was you was it, I think you guys had maybe an exchange about, like, he complained that officers were using profanity in some case. Right. And then this tweet account said, like, retweeted a thing that Winkleman said in which he swore, and then... It says, you know, says the chicky troll who blasts officials for using profanity. So I think, like, Winkleman... Yeah, I mean, he's a prolific person on all on your, on your, like, yeah. he said that publicly on your um, comments page. Yeah. Like, that's not anything, that's not inside knowledge. Right. So I don't, you know, like, that's something that I think anybody has access to. So, sure. I mean... Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I just wanted to ask you about it because he, you know, specifically brought it up. Um, no, no, no. That's, that's the sin. I mean, I think that's, there's a lot of stuff going on on the internet and Facebook. He's a prolific Facebook and Twitter user. And like, that's, you know, I think par for the course. So, yeah. Uh, but the answer is categorically no. So that's, yeah. if I had anything to say, I would say it directly. And I think that like, I've taken the policy of, I don't really get into the comment section of things or <laughs> get into the, it just, it seems really fruitless to get into the comment section of things. Even if you look on Facebook, like in the aftermath of like your article and the stuff on the shirts, like mm -hmm. the Burlington police department posted one like explanation of what the shirts were, but then we basically demurred from commenting at that point. Mm, right. Did right. you decide to not do that anymore after the, I don't remember, I don't know how to pronounce her last name, but the woman who had accused um, officers of, like, assaulting her when she was found, like, passed out in her car. He no, no, I mean, it's a good point that, like, what we did there was we commented directly to her Facebook page, but right. I think I wouldn't do that again. I would comment, like, on our Facebook page in response. But in general, I think my policy, so it's not like a written policy, but we want to stay away 
from the comment section of um, social media in general. I think the conversations get very based there. They're very rarely productive. People troll each other, right? You have, I mean, from what I understand, Shiki Winkleman has two, like, he operates BTV Tenants Union. Yep. And he operates the other, whatever, one. Neither of them is, like, necessarily, like, reminding people that it's him. Right? Like, this is all the nature of social media. I think we just want to be more careful and thoughtful about how we respond and to keep the dialogue as high quality as possible. Yeah. And so I know, like, like you said, there's no policy. This has been a topic of discussion for, like, a little while now, right? Like, um, at the police commission. Um... Yeah, I mean, from what I understand, there's one person who wants a policy, and that's Mr. Fife. Yeah. Like, he's the one who's said the most about it. Like, there's no, I haven't had anyone else in Burlington but him come to me about a social media policy. So it was multiple lies, uh, but Brandon refused to step down. We find out that, yes, in fact, the chief of police did create an anonymous Twitter account to troll a private citizen. He was lied ordered about to it. stay off social media. He was stripped of his gun and his badge and his cell phone. Like... And the person who was the target, me, was never told about this. Right. Like, that's a serious thing for an officer to be stripped of their gun. That's you saying, we no longer trust you to have a gun at this time. You cannot be trusted with that. So this happens, and... He ends up doing a press conference Friday where he essentially says he won't step down. During that press conference, what I heard through the grapevine is that he locked out every other uh, reporter and news organization, except for WCIX, who did an exclusive interview with him where they asked him softball questions and let him speak at length for about six minutes. Which is, you know, which is what you do when you know you've done nothing wrong. You don't go to the one news organization that just prints police propaganda ad nauseum whenever you want them to. Yeah, so, so on, on Friday, he says he's not going to resign. By Monday, he has decided that he is going to step down. Well, part, part of the reason he said he was going to step down was because it, it came out that he lied in a, a deposition to courts yeah. about not having any other social media accounts. Right. So about another case. He... About what case was this about? Anyhow, that doesn't matter. So not only did he lie to reporters and the counsel, also lied to a judge. On top of that, after uh, when they did a further investigation, it turned out that Del Pozo, even though he was told to not work during those six weeks, defied the mayor's orders and worked a few times. Mm-hmm. And, and while this was happening, I, I need to point out, the police commission did not have an emergency meeting. The police Isn't commission, that shocking? The biggest scandal in Burlington in decades. Yeah, I mean, this reached national, reached national news. news. So that's fascinating that the, the police commission didn't see that as a reason to maybe have some conversations about what suggestions they, they might make. Um, or maybe they just were like, eh, we can't do shit anyway, so why, why bother? Weinberger uh, knew Del Pozo had lied. Not only did he know about the accounts, Jan Wright did, John Murad did. And so what's crazy is we get to this following Monday and there's a city council meeting. And, you know, I'm outside the city council meeting. We're having a press conference. Uh, folks who had been trolled by Del Pozo, cop watch joined, people in the community that were just like, we've had enough of this. And we get word from someone who's watching the meeting that Jan Wright, who at noon that day had been chosen to be the interim chief, had to step down. Why would because that be? Because it turned be? out she had her own trolling account called Lori Spicer. Which had also been hounding Charles and other people. And other people. activists and people of color who had criticisms. She also had another Twitter account named Abby Sykes. 
And then she had a Instagram account under Lori Spicer 420. And people who had been on this for a while, we were wondering that. We were like, we think Lori Spicer is some sort of cop. We don't know who. We don't know if it's just a cop, someone who's just a friend, but it's like, it's clear. And the account had Kaepernick wearing a shirt that, you know, was like a, a police brutality shirt uh, or sweater. And so that night, the, the mayor is in tears and talking about how he has to have a third chief who was Murad, who knew about at least Del Pozo's trolling account. I find it hard to believe that neither of them knew about Lori Spicer, especially since the NYPD has been known for creating fake accounts whether it's to change public perception or, you know, quote-unquote, try to catch people. Yeah, and uh, Del Pozo and Murad are NYPD social media experts, right? Social media experts. In one thread, Spicer went after Winkleman, this is in the Seven Days article, for being, quote, obsessed with Chief Del Pozo. You can't get enough of him, she wrote. He definitely lives rent-free in your head. Seek help. Oh, Lori. There are a couple of things in this for me. One, it's incredibly ironic how this all played out because... Of course, if Del Pozo had just listened to Mike and Charles and others in the community regarding the creation of a social media policy, he might still have his job. So in a way, he did us a favor. I mean, that's, you know, the hubris being his uh, tragic flaw, right? Yeah, and and it's one of those classic situations where what he did was totally fucked up and inappropriate and an incredible abuse of power but it was the cover-up that was the worst part of it like if that had happened and in july he was like yep i had this tbi this is the reason if that is the case i mean i think we've shown his misbehavior existed pre-tbi but if you want to blame this specific instance on the tbi maybe you could have said that but after uh months of cover-up and lying everyone else around you lying too and covering up with you it's no longer just TBI, because then why did the mayor not do anything? Why did none of the deputy chiefs speak up? You know, going back to that whole idea of the thin blue line and the idea that there's good police officers. Where were the good police officers in that situation? It would have made more sense to come out when it occurred and to say, you know what, we're we're reevaluating. You wouldn't even have to specify that there was this Twitter troll thing. You would just say, we're, we've placed him on FMLA. It seems there are still some lingering effects of this traumatic brain injury that might be interfering with his work. And we want to just do our due diligence with that. But but part of the problem is, is that earlier he got pushback for going back to work too soon from a reporter in Vermont Digger. And Del Pozo said, no, I talked to the medical people. They said I was fine to return. Mm -hmm. And so now you have this situation where it's like, okay, so now either we believe that story that he was fine, you know, or they were lying. Like, it's just, it just muddies things up even more. It's like, so were these medical professionals lying or was the chief lying and the mayor lying about what those medical professionals said because they wanted him to return as soon as possible? Or is the TBI just an excuse? In all seriousness, traumatic brain injury, especially with with the kind of life-threatening accident that Del Pozo had, often creates life-changing symptoms for years, if not the rest of your life. But again, they're claiming to be transparent and are doing nothing to show that. The thing that made me incredibly angry when this came out that I still don't understand is that this was a wrong that was done against Charles and against the larger community in in different ways. But specifically, if we want to just look at this as the trolling that Charles endured, how does it make any sense that five months go by and this story does not come out until the victim of this trolling who somehow had the foresight to take screenshots. What? 
my Pulitzer Prize. Your Pulitzer. I mean, what other citizen is going to be taking screenshots, is going to be looking up the information associated with the accounts? And, and the burden was on that person to then expose Del Pozo for having done this. I was, I was very upset by this, knowing that if Charles had not exposed all of this evidence, nobody would have ever known about this because they were not going to share that information. They had already been asked point blank and they had denied it. You mentioned earlier, there are numerous places where Del Pozo and the mayor were not honest about the chief's use of social media. And that just seems completely unacceptable to me. And the reason the mayor said he wouldn't tell me was because, and he, he framed it in a very nice way, but essentially because he was worried I would have came out publicly and said it. He was worried about his own political ass, and that's why he didn't tell me about it. Which is not an excuse. I don't care. That, I mean, if anything, that makes it worse. A big part of it is honestly that uh, Del Pozo and Weinberger think that you're a dick. And I am are... a dick. They're not wrong. I'm not, they're not wrong about it. But, but that's also... Because they're a dick doesn't mean you do someone wrong. It made them look bad. So, I mean, and, and I think what's interesting, too, is uh, one of police commissioners the vice chair, who's still on the police commission, Shireen Hart, you know, she was quoted as essentially being like, yeah, I noticed during that conversation with Mike that things seemed a little weird about the chief. Okay, so what'd you do about it? Like, like that to me is the bigger issue, is that if he has this TBI, which I believe he does, and it's affecting him in these ways, I'm not sure it entirely is, but if it is, why is no one monitoring him? Why is no one saying, hey, you need to take another break? Your brain's not healed. And, th and then that leaves so many other questions. Like, okay, so if he had a TBI this entire time and he shouldn't have been back, what does that mean about him interfering with the police investigation? How, how do you allow any arrests that happen to go through? Yeah. How do you, I mean, it's, there, there's so many questions that this no one wants to answer because it would expose the system for what it is, which is a house of cards. But I wish that was the end. Right. When we started this idea for the podcast and wanted to do this, this two parts about the Del Pozo debacle, this was where it was supposed to end. Right. And over the course of many conversations, Charles and I have talked about keeping sight of Del Pozo's humanity and his capacity to change and learn and grow. As educators, we always have a hope and belief in every person. It's central to what we do that, that you can grow and learn and change. Um, but at this point, and, that, and that's why I'm an abolitionist, is because I do believe that. You know, everyone can change. I think Del Pozo can change. Yeah. But he hasn't. This, And that's the thing. We see no <laughs> evidence that all of this muck has caused Del Pozo to change, to introspect, or to admit wrongdoing. I mean, he has said that he, he did the wrong thing. Yeah. But then he follows that immediately with all of the explanations as to why he did it that justify it as maybe it was wrong, but... If you understood all the the context, you would understand, right? That's the, uh, he had it coming, no? Chicago. <laughs> Moreover, it doesn't even seem to have negatively affected his career. That's why I think I'm still pissed. Like, you know, I, I, I expected he would eventually resign. I expected he would get some six-figure cozy job at some neoliberal think tank on police reform, you know, boost his credentials. You know, I, at the end of the day, I was like, okay, he'll be fine. Like, he'll still be making a lot of money. He'll still have a family who will love him and respect him. He'll have his PhD or whatever it was, his Ivy League degrees. He'll be okay. But maybe he'll take some time away from the spotlight and reflect on what the fuck happened. 
Right. And maybe the power difference. And maybe the fact that as an officer with a gun, he threatened Mike Fife <laughs> in a public meeting, essentially, in a, a joking manner. But none of that happened. And, and six months go by, and he's writing op-eds in the New York Times. Yep. And he's getting his uh, doctoral research at a third Ivy League in what can only be described as the most fucked up small world scenario. He does his doctoral research at the hospital half a mile away from my childhood home, three blocks away from where my mom currently lives. It's like, I, I want to move on past this. I want him to go away. I want him to be out of Burlington. I mean, I've been here for 12 years. He can say this is his neighbor, his community, but he's been here for five years. He spent most of his, most of his life in New York State. Uh, just go away. Like, that's all I wanted. And instead, he's getting even closer and is showing up in these more and more public ways. Right. Del Pozo is not really taking responsibility. He's saying, I reacted to something in a way that was wrong, but that was completely understandable. He did one with Kurt Wright at WVMVT. He was supposed to do one the Monday after the scandal came out. That's when he chose to resign. I asked if I would get an opportunity to share my perspective. I was denied that opportunity in a very fun Twitter exchange where they called me Chicky. Right. So in this in interview, and this was from June 8th, so this is already a month into the, the self-rehabilitation of Brandon Del Pozo. He only superficially apologizes, right? In that interview, he says that the incident of the tweeting, which, quote, was a clear mistake on my part and something that I regret doing, but also everything that came along with it and precipitated this, what we have now is what is actually a crisis in policing. So he, he says it's something that he regrets, but then juxtaposes that with a crisis in policing, definitely making light of this silly mistake that he made and then after being very dismissive of his actual wrongdoing he goes on to basically shit on you it's not even just shitting on me it's like trying to turn me into this one-dimensional villain right he was being asked specifically about the trolling incident and he speaks generally about people but he is clearly referring to you, Charles, as someone who doesn't, quote, have very much co to contribute in person out in the arena of civic life who aren't very good at, you know, leading or talking to others or building consensus. And he says that you use... Spread toxin. That's why I use social media. I am the scarecrow of Burlington Gotham. Which is, so this is one, one of the things that's fascinating to me about this claim about you is, you know, I was your co-teacher. So you, know, you want to talk so, about somebody contributing in the arena of civic life? Charles dedicated how many years? Eight years of his life to being I a preschool teacher? six figures. Uh, yeah, you did. I know. You were only doing it for the money. Ooh, and yeah. we're not going to get into a lot of the amazing civic curriculum that you incorporated yeah. into your classroom. But th no. that is fundamentally why you were doing what you were doing. One time we, we invited a police officer to the classroom. Never will I do that again. That's a whole other... <laughs> so here you, you see, this was the first I think I heard him using this language. But in interview after interview from, from this point on, he is writing off Charles as somebody who is toxic, somebody who is spreading toxin. And so I ran for city council, goddammit. I'm just fucking around with that flex. I hate it and I'm glad I lost. I think the other thing that's really fascinating is he hasn't moved on. You don't you don't make specific comments like that if you've moved on. Yeah. You know, like you don't need to justify your behavior in that way if you've actually apologized and done any sort of reparative work. Another way he kind of shrugs responsibility is he said that he would have loved to have a press person and that it wasn't in the budget, right? This I found 
hilarious because he's saying that he wanted a press person and he goes on he lists that the electric company school district parks department has a media person yeah maybe they shouldn't that's a whole other issue but but here's the thing so he tries to shove responsibility saying that he really wanted a media person to kind of be the point person to control a lot of this uh social media presence and yet we know after our first episode that he absolutely did not want any media accountability. So what the fuck is he so, talking so he, about? He, well, wanted, he just a... wanted someone to do more of the job for him. <laughs> he didn't even want a social media policy. No, I mean, the whole point of a, a, a chief of police is media. That's all a chief of police does. They don't really do work. He has two deputies who do most of the actual work. Right. You know, a, a chief of police really just kind of is there as a figurehead. And so the idea that he needs a press person, you are the press person. That's how it works. Yeah. And also, you refuse to listen to any sort of feedback. So why would you deserve a press person? Right. So that's that's kind of the tack he has taken in regards to what led up to that emotional moment where somebody just really got under his skin and he couldn't take it anymore, which is amazing then, to me. Yeah. And then a couple weeks later, there is an interview with David Goodman. WDEV Vermont Conversations, June 24th, where Del Pozo uh, blames Courtney Lambton, essentially says, and this is a thing he said multiple times now, this is a favorite. that when he was asked by the press a week later, he felt like he was at a party and someone walked up to him and asked if he was the person who farted. Yeah, that's the tack that he is taking to defend his repeated oh. lying. And and here's the thing. So he said in an earlier interview with um, with Seven Days that denying his tweeting out of embarrassment to a reporter was the more serious problem. So he he thinks that this lying is a more serious problem, which I think I might agree with that because it's it gets to the heart of just not having any accountability and But he didn't but he didn't think he should have resigned after the lying either. So at the end of the day, I read that and I see that as him trying to downplay what he did. Right. And to say, yeah, I guess the lying was worse. Fair enough. But so he is saying that exact line, the I felt like I was a, at a party and someone walked up to me and asked if I was the person who farted. Word for word, he said the same thing on June 30th to Chris Hayes in that interview. Chris Hayes of MSNBC fame. I know. He's got they such met. a weird crush on <laughs> So can we talk about why did you have to resign? It, it's such a yeah. weird story. <laughs> there was one particular guy who was like a very onerous uh, tweeter. Just everything I said, he was constantly insulting. It got under my skin so badly in a way I regret. That I sent him eight anonymous tweets back. I I, I, I criticized him for. Brandon. Yeah. Go ahead. I just say it. I, you 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 ended up having to resign because you were too online. Yeah, that's right. No, no. Like I, you I, let so a she, guy, you let someone get under your skin, and then you like anonymously tweeted back at him, and then like lied about it. No, that's right. So when 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 people were like, you know, who is this person tweeting? And the press asked me. I I, I said, was it me? I felt like. I did it on my own time, on my own computer, and eight of the nine tweets or whatever weren't even about policing. They were about like a city park and AmeriCorps volunteers and outdoor dining because he hated all those things. And I was, you know, and I felt like someone walked up to me in the middle of a party and asked me if I was the one who farted. Yeah, yeah, he loves uh, Brandon. He did zero research to even understand what actually happened. Chris Hayes says that Del Pozo was quote unquote too online. It's just so surreal to me that somebody who is at the same time advocating for police reform, meaning Chris Hayes, right? Somebody who 
in theory, wants police accountability, wants there to be less abuse of power in police forces, writes off something like this as being too online, right, which like is doesn't... not the case. It was a pattern, which we, we talked about. He yes. had a pattern over many years of yeah. not being too online, but rather using his online presence in an inappropriate, unprofessional, and intimidating way. I mean, and, and that's the big issue that I have with all of these, is not a single one of these folks who has interviewed him has even mentioned the, the power difference. Yeah, it's very disappointing to hear. And then all that happened, right? And then I was like, all right, well, at least this is how it'll end. Brandon is not learning much, but, you know, he's on the reform circuit claiming to be this guy who, you know, police violence would never happen in in his city under his watch. And then earlier this week, I was online tweeting with none other than David Simon of The Wire. But Brandon Del Pozo quote tweets it on his own Twitter and says, insulated millennial white Vermonters told David Simon, creator of The Wire, blah, 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 diehard liberal, that they've studied critical theory and read certain books. His Heisman was epic. And what David Simon says is he calls us morons and says we're brain dead and fucking stupid. And so here's Brandon Del Pozo a year after he trolled me, watching my Twitter account behind a block. So he blocked me on Twitter, but then he still searches me out to try to essentially dunk on me a year later. And it's like, what has he learned? He's still on the board of directors for the Howard Center. He's still on the board of my employer. Doing the exact same sort of shit he was doing a year ago. Right. And there was one last thing that I thought was really interesting because he then did a Reuters conversation in the New York Times. So one of, one of the participants was Andrea Ritchie, who is a New York City uh, lawyer who has sued the NYPD on behalf of queer and trans folks and in one of the, the responses, because she was a part of this panel, Del Pozo says, oh, yeah, we worked adjacent together. Oh, oh yeah. And she slaps you know, I was in the NYPD and we worked adjacent together. And this response, thank you. But to clarify, we did not work adjacent to each other. I personally served you with papers in a lawsuit against the NYPD precinct you were responsible for in connection with brutal police violence against a black trans woman. Glad to see you are no longer in law enforcement. I mean, that's new to me. I had no idea that that had happened under his watch. He had no idea it had happened under his watch, Charles. (laughs) That's one of those things that, you know, you might want to mention when you're trying to become a police chief. If you were trying to be honest about everything you've done and not just highlight the good things, but give an actual honest self-assessment, you might mention that when you are uh, trying to become a police chief to say, hey, here's something that's happened in my past. But he hoped it would never come out. Just like the trolling. So here's the thing. What do we take away from these last two episodes from this whole Del Pozo debacle? You could, if you wanted to, take away that Del Pozo is a self-important buffoon who who likes to insulate himself from any credibility and that that's a problem. It's his problem. He's an asshole. Like, you might come away thinking that. I'm not going to say you're wrong. I'm not going to say you're right. For me, the verdict is out. You know, I don't know him personally. I think that he does really want to look at different kinds of progressive policing and think about it in a new-ish way. But his excuse for why he didn't do those things was that he was getting pushback from police officers themselves, which, you know, you take them to a lynching memorial and, you know, somebody wears a blue line, a thin blue line shirt knowing exactly what he's doing. I absolutely believe that he had pushback from his officers. I absolutely believe seeing that exchange with Murad 
about the, uh, like the waiter said to the table of activists, is anything all right? I definitely believe that not only from the officers, but from deputy chiefs, that he's getting pushback if he is presenting progressive ideas. But the important thing about this story is in the context of the movement to defund the police, whether or not you believe in those things, this thing that happened in Burlington, Vermont, you know, small town where for a lot, in a lot of ways, like stakes are lower than in other places, right? We see again and again, a lack of police accountability, a lack of, of oversight, a refusal to listen to citizens' concerns, and the tendency of police officers to insulate themselves from scrutiny or from repercussions rather than to lean toward transparency allowed for really harmful, abusive patterns of social media use from the deputy chief and from the chief of police at least. And that's just one snapshot of that. We mentioned these other cases where, yeah, Burlington, Vermont, it's a city 40 some odd thousand people, right? And and we are still having problems with police use of excessive force against people of color, against children of color. We are seeing all of these things in our progressive, beautiful, wonderful city. And it does really have to have to make you ask yourself, is this something that is just a police department to police department issue that we need to evaluate? Or is this something inherent to the way that we do policing in America? I, I agree with everything you've said, Gabrielle. And then I also think about the clear limits of reformism and the clear limits right. of particularly of people inside the police system trying to reform it. Yep. Because if Brandon Del Pozo is the most progressive chief in America, and this is what happened under his watch, and this was the most progress he was able to make, what does that say about policing? Right. You, you see the exact same things happening throughout the country. And so the idea that like Burlington is a unique or special place, that the Burlington Police Department is unique or special, uh, is just not true. Yeah. And our politicians aren't, aren't special because what have they done? What, what, what have they done? There's still no police social media policy specifically. You know, they voted to defund the police over the course of attrition. And that was after a thousand plus people called in. So it's just like. So maybe it seems like these things aren't as big of a deal. But think about that in, in a major city. Brendan Del Pozo was in the NYPD before. Think about what those practices that I'm sure he must have learned somewhere. I don't think he invented them when he came to Burlington. What kind of implications do those practices have in a place as big as New York City, where there are many more police killings that happen? The New York Police Department, I believe, is the sixth largest standing military in the world. So there you go. I don't know if we're going to just be downers all the time. But thank you so much for joining us on this first journey. And, what a way um, to start. Be, be encouraged that your neighbors, that your fellow Vermonters are calling into the police commission are keeping them up until two in the morning be encouraged that those calls are starting to move the needle the the conversation is moving um and we just got to keep it up